Welcome to this bonus episode of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, once again, we're doing something a little bit different this week. Uh, because it was the holiday weekend, I actually had a friend in town. Please introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. This is Alec. I came down to visit Chris. That is the ghost that lives in my apartment slamming the door. Alec, please continue. Uh, I came down to visit Chris for reasons beyond my understanding. We decided Fair that enough. this was going to be the thing that was going to happen, and so here we go. Rock and, and roll. And you are, you are, just to clarify for the fans, you are not a Batman aficionado. Oh, no, no. I am a total black sheep here. I, I, I Well, not Batman big on the, the color black. So. <laughs> okay, good. So we have black to go with, but beyond that, I have not read the comic books. I've seen some, not all of the movies, but I, I, I basically kind of snuck in here, so you get to enjoy. Well, this. it's fine. No one's perfect. Um, <laughs> do you at least know what the backstory of Batman, like how he became? Yeah, he's Batman? from Toronto, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yes, he's Canadian, and Gotham, he, Canada. He just <laughs> Gotham, and he just wants to make everyone's life a little bit more pleasant, and so he goes around. Uh, <laughs> Instilling politeness in the hearts of criminals. The, the protector of Tim Hortons. Yes. It's just odd that he took his inspiration from a five-year-old's Halloween costume. Why would he want to dress up like that? Canadians are a, a lovely, heartwarming, slightly childish bunch. <laughs> they love themselves some Halloween. They love some costumes. Some Tim Hortons. Yes. Some maple syrup. I, I wish I knew more stereotypes yeah, I right don't now. know. I don't, do we have any Canadian listeners? I don't know. Well, we don't anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. But yeah, since Alec is not really a, uh, a Batman person, we figured we really couldn't talk about Batman. But we could. We'd just make it really it'd be awkward. It'd very for uncomfortable for all involved. But by happenstance. Not me, not rock and roll. <laughs> by, by happenstance. <laughs> Uh, we all went to go see a movie together last night. Mm -hmm. uh, you've all seen the title of this episode, so you know what it is. But it also has to be Cameron's favorite movie. Cameron, of all time. Who it, Framed Roger Rabbit. There we go. It is also the 30th anniversary of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What day did it come out? Uh, I want to say June 22nd, <laughs> 1988. For your sake, I hope you're right. <laughs> it's something around there. Yes. Because Disney, I probably brought this up before, Disney is... Uh, very punctual with their movie schedule. Every film either comes out uh, on the third weekend of June or the third weekend of November. And all the everybody listening, they know what you do, right? They know how that you're affiliated with Disney. I, right? I mean, they they get the rough idea. I don't think I've actually. Can specifically we get the actual said. idea? Because I think it adds a lot of depth <laughs> to the story. Uh, I do uh, Disney social media. I don't know if, if I've ever actually said that. Probably not. Why? But I mean, you... you it's not just Disney's social media. You're also an animator. You draw these things. You got yeah. into working with them <laughs> because of something that you were doing on the side as a passion project, which caught the attention of Disney. Am I wrong? No, you you're, you got it. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to be a little humble. <laughs> yeah. No, no, the, no, no, no. We, we never talk about ourselves in this podcast. The only thing that our listeners know is that Cameron loves animation, that I'm real gay. Yeah, yeah. Well, they didn't. They didn't know. They didn't until, know that for a long time until Cameron added me on the podcast. Yeah, it was really to cover my own tracks. It was to cover his own tracks. But if any listeners will know that I got a lot gayer since I came out on the podcast. Yeah. Well, so started a second well, thanks podcast. For taking so, I did. I started a gay podcast. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the variation from the Batman theme. But I feel like considering <laughs> having gone to theaters to see Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is your favorite film, and mm -hmm. you're the animator for it. That adds a lot more to this. I am leaning far back. Chris is reminding me that I need yes. to speak into the microphone. Toast. Yes. <laughs> Toast. <laughs> uh, yeah, so 
because it is my favorite movie, I, I uh, pushed and shoved my way into this episode by saying we're going to talk about the history of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Which I'm super excited about because for the first time ever, I didn't do anything. To prepare I for this podcast. I had so much fun preparing Cameron, for this podcast. Cameron, I think Cameron spent more time preparing for this podcast than he has for all the accumulated podcasts One, beforehand. I, yes, And absolutely. this is like our hundred something episode. Yes, absolutely. So. All right, then let's talk about what we're here to talk about. Yes. Who framed Roger Batman. Rabbit? <laughs> who, who framed Batman? I mean, Bruce Wayne Fugitive was a comic from yeah. like what the late nineties or the two thousands, where mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne was framed for murder. Wasn't there also a Nightwing series about that? Where Nightwing? Maybe not murder, but where he was wanted by the government, and uh, then he became a government agent. Yeah, because he was an agent of Spiral. Yeah, I haven't read any of that yet. Neither have I. I just remember all the covers were the the stereotypical female pose, but with him. Well, I mean. Okay, so Alec, to explain. <laughs> I've seen Roger Rabbit. That's all I know how to talk about right Sorry. now. To, uh, to explain, uh, Nightwing, uh-huh. who is the grown-up personification of the original Robin, Dick, Dick Grayson. Grayson. So the Robin that was in like the 1960s TV show and that was in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick to Nightwing. That's quite the metamorphosis. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, so he became Nightwing. And Nightwing, having spent his entire life as a Dick. acrobat in a circus, oh, okay. mm-hmm. is a, a well-toned gentleman. Yes. And he has the best butt in comics. Officially <laughs> ranked. Officially ranked. Like a, in really? comics, yeah. Oh, yeah. The number one ass there in comics. There was a poll on this? Yes. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah, okay. I know. It's a great thing. <laughs> like, I follow an Instagram thread that always does, like, uh, then Grace and it's Friday, and they just post... Like clips from comics of, of, yeah, Dick Grayson's butt. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, he's got the best butt in comics. Yes. Um, And there, listeners, your clue that Chris lives in West Hollywood. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Which is great because I'm always the one that brings up Nightwing. (laughs) This is absolutely true. Yeah. But is it his posterior? Usually. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's his best asset, hands down. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Roger Rabbit. Oh, right. I'm just going to just overload everyone with with all the facts that i yes, have please yes um, well, let's before we get into the facts mm-hmm. let, let's just go with like general impressions so okay Alec, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, put your biggest guns forward yeah. here we'll start with you when was the last time you saw who framed roger rabbit what was it like seeing it again seeing it in theaters so i've never seen it in theaters uh as far as we're recording it right now the last time I saw the movie was last night, so it was probably like 18 hours ago, and the time before that, I would have been like nine years old. Okay. So it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time being 28 years old now. There's obviously a lot of life that's happened in between it. However, not only seeing it at the theater, which was a spectacular venue. At the, the El Fil- Capitan. Mm-hmm. Great theater. The, the El Capitan. Don't go great. see Avengers if any were there, though. <laughs> it was fine. No, it was terrible. It was fine. We got to watch a kid cry. So many kids crying. Like okay, adults. Please include that for like the YouTube section after this. But like, man, I would like to hear that yeah, story. Yeah, we'll tell that story, tell that story after. The film holds up. The film holds up. It was a fun film to watch. I actually really enjoyed being able to speak with you, Cameron, when we were walking back across, you know, Hollywood last night. It, it was like, okay, why is this your favorite film? What about it holds up? And that that's when I was learning from you that there were things like. We're never going to see all of those characters back together again because it required Steven Spielberg to to be the liaison, to bring all of the different studios together to make that film happen. Whereas for me, I was enjoying it mostly because I got to see 
all of these characters from my childhood, when you're living through cartoons and movies and TV and you're living in your imagination, coupled with the live action shots of it and like Christopher Lloyd and uh, so good. Bob Foskins, Hoskins, Bob Hoskins, Hoskins. 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 Mm-hmm. I mean, last film I saw him in was the long good Friday. And now all of a sudden to see him with like cartoon characters and all of it was fun the whole way through. And they're dealing with, with, kind of adult themes more so like I was speaking with Chris I was like I thought it was going to be more of like that child's movie that I thought it was going to be something maybe to bring up later like it's not exactly a kid's movie oh they no deal it's with definitely adult not themes. it held up well it was a fun film to go watch particularly with people who loved it as much as you guys since it's yeah. been a couple decades since the last time I'd seen it no I mean it, it's it's an amazing movie like I watched it a lot as a kid um it's probably been a few years I've seen it last, but it's one of those movies I've seen so often that it just, it resides in my brain. Like, it doesn't matter how long it's been since I've seen it, I know it very well, and I absolutely love it. And it was a fun experience getting to see it on the big screen. Again, never having done that before. There are definitely a few small things I picked up more. It helps when you're watching it on a medium that has really good sound. So you pick up little things you didn't mm-hmm. see before, and... Mm-hmm. When the screen is massive, you can spot characters you hadn't seen before. But it's just... Wait, it, you, you saw me, like, squirming in my chair. Yeah, I, I, every once in a while, I would just see, like, Cameron point at the screen <laughs> to, to no one but himself, <laughs> pointing out characters that were ha- like, showing up on screen. And it, it's so... It, I mean, at this point now, I actually get more excited to go see movies I already know and love in a, mov- like a movie theater than I do about seeing new ones in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Like, you know, recently I went to go see Honor Majesty Secret Service, which is amazing. I had to go see this... Um, you know, Alec and I, we've gone to see Casablanca before. We saw oh, yeah. Phantasm last year. Uh, that's true. Yeah, we got to go see Phantasm at the New Bev. Like, it's fun to go see something that you already have a deep passion for and to see it for the first time on a movie screen. I mean, I'd seen Phantasm before when it came out on a movie screen, but it had been a long, long time. Mm-hmm. For me, these are all home video sort of experiences, which don't have the same power as seeing it in a cinema. It was, it was amazing. It was so much fun. So as we've said a few times already, it's my favorite movie of all time. Uh, I watch it probably once a year or so. Um, and what I love about the movie is every time I watch it, I see a new character or I have some new knowledge hmm. in the, in the new watch through that I like pick up on something that I missed. Really? Uh, yeah. So what was it the last two times? Cause you watched it twice this week in the theater. So what mm-hmm. did you spot that you had not seen before? Well, so the, when I watched it on Friday, uh, I, I, it had never just clicked in my brain that all the characters on screen, minus a handful that I'll talk about in a minute, uh, they only used characters that existed in 1947 right, when the yeah. movie came out, which I had completely... was I was so oblivious to that. Well, it's not only characters that existed at that time, but it's the animation style of those characters mm-hmm. at the time as well, right? Like, yeah. they weren't using versions of Porky Pig from the 1970s. They were trying to stick as much as they could to stuff that existed back in the day. Yeah. right. And the, yeah, that's how I caught it, was in the scene with Mickey and Bugs. I was like, something is different about this Mickey. It's not classic Mickey. It's it's kind of... Uh, so there's, like, three Mickeys. You have uh, Steamboat, classic, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's kind of in between Steamboat and Kind of like the Three Jokers. Yes. Almost exactly like the Three Jokers. Yeah. Uh, so kind of in between Steamboat, so kind of like as they were transitioning to color, uh, Mickey was a little more mischievous and less kind of like uh, kid heartwarming. Okay. Um, especially uh, back in the 40s when, when Tex Avery was kind of the leading comedic voice in animation. Okay. Um, the other Warner Brothers and Disney tried to copy that a little bit uh disney kind of held back a little more 
but you, you could see that in the 1940s Mickey. Um, and so I caught that, and I'm like, oh, shit, all these characters existed in the 40s. Because I also, I also always questioned why there weren't any Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Oh. Because that didn't exist until the 60s. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Were, I mean, on a few reevaluations, did you happen to catch any characters that should not have been there? Uh, the biggest ones would be the Penguins. Oh, right, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. I mean, that movie didn't come out until 1961. Which okay, was yeah. Mary, Mary Poppins. Poppins. Mary yeah. yeah, I enjoyed seeing them there. They did yeah. make me chuckle being the waiters. But So I actually, there was a, a great uh, interview where Zemeckis answered the question of why they were in the movie. Okay. Because he, because there was like very, because there were two instances of uh, post-1947 things. Okay. So the Penguins are the biggest one. Uh, and he basically said, since this is a world where cartoons exist alongside humans, we also can assume that they weren't always famous cartoon characters. Oh. So the penguins are there just because they haven't been discovered yet. That's oh. why they're the waiters. That's oh, a, that's actually that really hilarious. good. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second one, which I didn't know until I did the research last night, was the goofy short they show in the movie theater scene. Uh-huh. Uh, that didn't come out till 49. Oh. But Richard Williams, the lead animation director on the film, um, he said that was the best example of Goofy's kind of physical comedy. Okay. And so that was what they needed to kind of show what Roger looks up to. Mm-hmm. But in the same mm-hmm. way that we accept this is a world outside of our own reality where cartoons exist, we can accept the fact that maybe No, no these- they're, they're real. <laughs> so we can accept the fact that in this world outside of Cameron's head this Thanks. is a world where the cartoons don't exist and that maybe these things just happened earlier mm-hmm. for example because it wasn't it, you know the thing is is that in this world it's not reliance upon an animator's thoughts and creation to make these things these things already exist in the wild is your point about the penguins mm-hmm. so yeah so to make a to make a reference really quick there is a cart- not, there's a live action series Cartoon Network did in the late 2000s called Out of Jimmy's Head, which was kind of my dream situation. Not not entirely, but it's it's a very weird setup where it's a kid uh, who's touring what's basically their version of of Disney Studios mm-hmm. uh, goes to a goes to a restricted area and finds the frozen head of. Uh, Walt Disney? Yeah, basically Walt (laughs) Disney. As he's trying to escape, he hits his head and gets brain damage. And so they have to switch to keep him alive. They put Walt's brain in his head. Oh, my God. And so when he wakes up, he sees all of the Disney characters. Not Disney, but yeah, you know what I mean. All of the Disney characters around him, like, he sees them as real and interacts with them as real characters. And I'm like... Yeah, that, that's that's how I see the world. <laughs> it's not, as if your brain had been swapped. As if you've had brain damage and you've been replaced. As if I, yeah, as if cartoons are real to me. I mean, what a better world it would be. It wouldn't it? Were that true? Mm-hmm. How so, though? Like, in terms of, of, like, a way that you can relate to people, like, you relate who the people are and their personalities to certain characters that you've grown up with, or are you... Or you, you you make a caricature out of the people that you do meet. What does that mean? I've never heard anybody describe that before. What, seeing the world as a cartoon? Yeah. Oh, just everything always works out. Everything is, like, there's always the 
uh, everything is always a three act structure. (laughs) 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 Uh, I mean, clearly this is middle school me. Uh, So I I wish I could still have this. You? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have not changed. (laughs) Um, Yeah. In, in middle school, uh, I always like treated the world like a TV, like a TV show where like I would add suspense if there wasn't any suspense completely unnecessary or unnecessarily. I would like, if there was like a, if like a crush situation, I would treat the romance just like a cartoon, like just like a TV show character. I had some problems back then. They're yeah. still being worked out now. <laughs> he he would just about that he would just wolf whistle at attractive women that walk by. <laughs> his heart would burst out of his stomach. Mm-hmm. It's very unpleasant. So, uh, diving into some fun facts. Uh, so, for the people who don't know, uh, Roger Rabbit is ba- or Who Framed Roger Rabbit is based off a book. Uh, which came out in 1981 called Who Censored Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. where it was a similar plot uh, or a similar setup, but they changed a bunch about the movie. Uh, in the book, uh, the only characters that remained were Roger, Jessica, um, Baby Herman, and... Um, Eddie Valiant? Yes, Valiant. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but instead of cartoon characters, it was comic strip characters. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, and so you, the the permanence part comes from whenever the character, whenever the comic strip characters would talk, they would talk in word bubbles, and the word bubbles would stay. They would just kind of float. Oh, interesting. Just float out of you yeah. know into space. Have you read the book? I have not. Okay. Um, but I found out there's two sequels that the guy who wrote the book uh, made two sequels to the movie. So I have I ordered them on Amazon last night. Okay, wait. Okay, so he wrote the book. Yes. The book wasn't successful, but the movie was. Mm-hmm. So to capitalize on that success, he wrote sequels to the movie. Yes. How'd they do? Genius. Uh, I think fine. The first... Pretty, probably pretty well. I mean, yeah. they, they were very spaced out. So the movie was 88. The first book came out in, like, 96, I want to say. Okay. Um, and it's it's called Who Plugged Roger Rabbit? Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the second one didn't come out till 2013, and it was who... <laughs> so I have a lot of notes on this phone. Who, uh, and who whacked Roger Rabbit? Does he die Is in that? that? I don't know. Uh, I, the, the so synops- the smile on his face. Yeah. Well, uh, in the first book, he dies. So in, really? Yeah, in um, Who Censored Roger Rabbit. Um, they actually have a character die. Yeah, so instead of R.K. Maroon dying... Sorry, not R.K. Instead of... Um, Acme dying, Roger's the one that dies, and the only clue they have to go off of is the speech bubble. The last words he said oh. are still lingering around him, so that's the only clues they have. What were the last words he said? I don't remember. Oh, I have not read the book. <laughs> but you read all this other shit about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, before the book even was published, the manuscript landed on the desk of Disney's president at the time, Ron Miller, mm-hmm. who was super interested in the project um, and started animating it back in 1981. Oh, wow. So he worked on it for two years wow. before it even came out with very interesting voice casting. So for Roger Rabbit, it was initially going to be Paul Rubens. What? From Pee Wee Herman. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, yeah. Famous public masturbator, Pee Wee Herman. Yes. Yeah. Uh, pay, famous public master debater, <laughs> Pee Wee Herman. Uh, he was the voice of Roger. 
and you can actually they actually have um, the the first animation tests on YouTube. No shit. So watching them was so interesting uh, because Jessica is also like in the movie they always like they make How you so? question. Hmm? What what makes them interesting to see the first animation test is because they have different well it's just so animators different. so it's different drawings in terms of well, how the characters uh, look yeah all the characters look different okay. so uh, Roger still has the same basic look but he he looks more like uh, I'm gonna say like a like a hillbilly uh, Bugs Bunny is huh. more of his look okay okay um, and Jessica is more human looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, less overly proportioned. <laughs> um, is she more like the hot girl next door rather than the the bombshell? She's still a bombshell. Okay. Um, because they they the references were still there. So initially, or not initially, Jessica Rabbit is based off of. God, I have my notes in a very specific order, so I'm going to talk about that later. <laughs> um. Yeah. So it started in 1981, um, and. Uh, where was I going? It was shelved in '83 because Ron Miller left Disney. Okay. Um, for the man who initially hated animation, Mr. My- or Mr. Will Eisner. Oh. In. No shit. Yeah. So Eisner wanted to shut down the animation department. I don't know if you knew that, but um, he came in to kind of save Black Cauldron, and just kind of deal with the money issue. Disney was in a wait, very, wait, wait, very, wait. very deep hole. Not. You mean Bob Eisner, the eventual head of Disney, or Will Eisner, the not Will Eisner? Sorry, that's the wrong. Okay, because yeah. Will Eisner is the um, like the, the comics awards every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, he was sorry. the creator of the Spirit. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, Bob Eisner. Yes, I always okay. refer to him as Eisner, so I I never okay. remember his yeah. first name. It's, it's Bob. Yeah, Bob Eisner. Well, no, because no, Bob Iger. But this is also Bob Eisner. Sure, isn't it? I don't know. I should know this, but I don't. You make me feel really bad. Alec. Be useful. <laughs> You're making me feel really bad that I don't remember this. I know it's Jeffrey Katzenberg. That's the name I do remember. Um, so um, so the movie was shelved in 83. Eisner came. Sorry, it's Michael Eisner. Michael Eisner. God damn it. Yeah, you're right. Yes, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Okay. Wait, um, Michael Eisner hated animation? He wanted to shut down the animation department of Disney. Well, what a... Dumb idiot. Which is insane. Well, he he was the one that thought of... I've probably talked about this before, but I find it super interesting. Um, he was the one that came in with the mentality of you don't need home run movies for every movie. Um, he he famously coined the single and doubles movies. So okay. keeping in the baseball terms, he wanted movies that were, were cheap. Yeah. They were cheap to make uh, and just made enough money to, you know, just, just made their money back and a little more. So were, that what were some of the like? Did Disney actually make oh a singles? bunch of these? Like what, yeah. what were these these um, theatrical released? Yes, they were all under Touchstone. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so they created Touchstone as the live action arm of Disney for these kind of cheaper movies. Okay, so you have Angels in the Outfield, Angels. <gasps> oh, um, Angels in the Outfield. You have three uh, three men and a baby. Good Morning Vietnam. Um, anything with Robin Williams Pretty in the eighties yeah. because they basically got him for cheap they was hmm? who made hook was that a touchdown that was, uh yeah but that was later that was in the 90s well talk to me more about the robin williams stuff so, <laughs> so he was in and out of rehab in the late 80s and disney would basically send and send uh an uh, associate uh-huh. to the rehab center every day waiting for him to leave and they just had a contract 
Really? Yeah, and so they got him on cheap because they got him as he literally as he was walking out the door of the rehab center. And he said, sure, I'll take a contract so that way I can say I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was that whole situation. But yeah, there's there's a, a ha- um, not Rocketeer, but the one before Rocketeer, 1989, was the last Starfighter. That oh, one. okay. <laughs> Never seen it. It's great. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Is there Jerry O'Connell in that? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> that none of us have the answer to. Uh, but yeah, basically any movie, like any kids or family movie from like 86 to 90, they were all super cheap to make and they were just made to get a little money in Disney's pocket because they were so in the hole after, uh, uh, after Black Cauldron. Oh, I don't realize Black Cauldron's a huge flop. Oh, it's it's still Disney's biggest. I mean, I think John Carter might have taken it, uh, but animation wise, it is the biggest animated flop of all really? time. Really? Like, do you know like the budget versus box office on that one? I don't. God, some I'm research he did. But I did I did see oh. that uh, Roger Rabbit was the most expensive movie at the time. Okay, it cost seventy million dollars to make. Okay, so Eisner Katzenberg come in in 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell the Katzenberg story later. I've probably told it like three times already, but I love it. Probably. I don't um, even remember. He's, he's the founder of DreamWorks. Yeah, I know that. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so in 1986, they find this movie on the sh- uh, in the Disney vault, and they're, they like it, but they're not really sure of the potential. So they call up their good friend Steven Spielberg, which would be like, hey, can this movie make money? And Spielberg says, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he lends his, his kind of wallet in hand with Amblin, and so now it is a Touchstone Amblin Pictures movie. Um, and Spielberg basically says, if I'm giving you my money, I get full control over what's happening. And by me, I mean, I have this protege uh, named uh, uh, Zemeckis. What's his first Robert name? Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis. Sorry. Bob Zemeckis. Bob Zemeckis. Will Zemeckis. Bobby Z. <laughs> um, I have this protege named Zemeckis. He just got off this awesome movie called Back to the Future. Uh, he is getting full final cut rule for this movie, oh, which is crazy. That's insane, yeah, yeah. for uh, a new director at that time. Yeah, so he had final say, or he had, he had the final word on the movie because Eisner uh, wanted to cut Jessica completely. They thought Wait. she was way too adult for a kid's film. Too sexualized? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's interesting, so... And I, I don't really see that. Wh- I, I mean, when... <laughs> I mean, I would think that when they started pre-production on this, Back to the Future would have already been out, right? They Yeah, they started this movie in 1986. So, what I think is interesting about that is even in 1986, right after Back to the Future comes out, is a huge, huge hit, critically and commercially. Mm-hmm they're still not willing to give Bob Zemeckis the benefit of the doubt. Well, I don't think it's that. I think it's Disney was just so, so in the hole for money. Oh, okay. They, like they, they didn't give anyone they creative, were full extra creative. cautious. Yeah. Because I was going to say, I mean, like, that's the modern format now. Like, I mean, you get guys coming out with just critically successful, if not commercially successful, indie films who get handed massive franchises. Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi or like a Colin Trevorrow. I'm like, like Taika the, the, Waititi. Those didn't do near the business of like Back to the Future. It was a huge, huge movie when it mm-hmm. came out. And also, I think the only reason they gave it to him was because Spielberg. Well, yeah, I mean, it's After it's I read Spielberg. this, you'll see how powerful Spielberg was in making yeah. this movie. Because uh, it almost folded multiple times. It was vastly over budget. 
Oh, how could it not be? Yeah. This must have been crazy expensive to make. It was $70 million to make. It was the most expensive film to of the time. Uh, Shit. It's, it's roughly uh, now $138 million now. Okay. Whoa. Mm-hmm. What? Do and you, the Black Cauldron was before that, and it had a budget. It came out uh, in 1985. It had a budget of 44 million, mm-hmm. but it earned domestically only 21.3 million. So it yeah. made less than half of its budget. Mm-hmm. And then Roger Rabbit comes out just a few years later and triples the budget. Yeah, I think wow. it made uh, 400 million global. I mean, wow. it's kind yeah. of understandable. I mean, it's so easy to look at this now and say that it's groundbreaking, but I imagine, especially back in the day, oh. there was nothing like this, right? I, I have a few facts uh, and a few quotes from, from Richard Williams, the animation director, okay. who literally wrote the book on modern animation. Like, <laughs> I'm not joking. I, I, I assume you've read this book. Yes. If, if anyone who works in animation or is studying animation, at some point you will get the book, The Animator Survival Kit, mm-hmm. ri- written by Richard Williams. That's amazing. Yeah, and his his quotes about the about making this movie are so funny because he's just like such a dick <laughs> about older animators. So before this movie, whenever there was a live action animation pairing, there was a very strict rule from animators that the camera cannot move; it has to be completely oh, stationary. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so Zemeckis approached Williams and he's like, "Do we have to follow this?" And and Williams is like, "No, absolutely not." And like, "Well, why does this rule exist in the first place?" He's like. Cause we're lazy and we don't want to. We don't want to have to move a person with a camera. Yeah. Cause like now we have tracking software that'll kind of do all the hard work for us. Uh, but back then they had to physically draw the character moving and rotating with the camera movements. Hmm. And it, uh, I think even at times you see a bit of that. Like there are some mm-hmm. tracking shots with I think of like the club scene with Jessica Rabbit when we first meet her, where the animation just seems a little. I don't know if choppy is the right word to use, but you can tell that like. This is the carriage moving and the camera moving, and that's a new thing. It's yeah. a little challenging. Well, what's crazy is nowadays we have markers. Mm-hmm. So we have the the tennis ball for dragons and Game right. of Thrones. We have things for character eyeline for for the for the animators to know where to put things. That didn't exist yet. Did they have anything like that? I mean, what what was Bob Hoskins talking to most so, of them making this? Uh, so they, they sent Bob to a four-month miming school. Holy shit. Which is Four amazing. Yeah, miming. That's a lot mm-hmm. of time not talking. Yeah. And being French. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> they, they Everyone had to take a few miming classes, all the okay. live-action actors. Yeah. But they, uh, they would do three takes. Um, so they would do the, the clean camera movement, mm-hmm. so no actors. Um, that, that would be the last one. The first one would be the actors with, uh, stand-ins. So they had like a cutout, uh, of the right-sized Roger and Jessica. Mm -hmm. They actually had a character for Jessica. Um, there was an actress that came in for her. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, there would be cardboard cutouts of all the characters. So the actors could get their eye lines right. Because that was the biggest rule to make this movie believable was eye lines were key. Mm-hmm. There are three big rules. I'm going to go over them later. Um, I'm going to do this like a class. No, I love it. I just, yeah, We're listening yeah. intently. You should, because there is a quiz after this. Oh, good. Thank God. And I'm not joking. There is an actual quiz. No, I, 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 I know there is. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they would do a take with the cutouts, and they would do a take of just the actors, and they would do a take of just the camera movement. Um, but, I mean, if how and you're probably about to answer this, how was each take just a subsequent learning experience? Because 
unless the camera was computer controlled and the performances were completely identical, you couldn't interchange those cuts, right? <clears throat> so was it just like one cut was leading to the next one in terms of what was supposed to be the best? Uh, yeah, well, they would only send the blank, or they would only send the one with the actor to the animators. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but they had to film, they didn't send it early, like okay. I thought. Like I, I had assumed they would send the dailies over for them to start animating. No, they, they were, there was no chance for reshoots in this movie. They okay. filmed the entire live action scene before sending it to the animators. Wow. Yeah. Really? Which is, yeah, which is kind of insane to think about now. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me get back to my notes. Uh, Steven Spielberg, he helped with everything in the book, comic strips, initial script. Oh, uh, so I have a few like initial script notes, which I thought were so funny. <clears throat> uh, Judge Doom, played by Christopher Lloyd. So good. Yeah. Uh, in the one of the initial scripts, he was the hunter that shot Bambi's mom. Oh, I heard oh, that before, actually. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and I have acting choices, so I, I'm going to have you guys guess okay. who you think the initial choices were for each role. So okay. who do you think Disney's first pick for Eddie Valiant was back in 1988? 1988. Can we get, like, a drop-down menu? Can we get a drop-down menu of, um, like, who the potential <coughs> contenders were? You have... Um, so Eddie were, Murphy. <laughs> not quite. You have... Um, Bill you have, Murray. You have, that was one of them. There were three. Uh, I was going to okay. say there were three. There was one action star and two comedians. Okay, so Bill Murray, mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd, not Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase. Okay, Ooh, I'm going good. Comedians. You're on fire. Okay, 88 action star. This would be remember, remember, remember who was uh, opening their wallet for this movie. So who's, it would have been Steven Amblin? Not Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. <gasps> no way. Yep, Harrison Ford was Disney's first pick for Eddie wow. Valiant. But what he was would that, too expensive. What would that movie <laughs> have been like? <laughs> Harrison Ford is rough. a drunk yeah. detective. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I mean, he did it in Blade Runner. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a detective in that, and Indiana Jones is a sort of detective. <clears throat> it, would, it would have been... Is he too high status of an actor to play that character? At yes. that point, he is, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, but like, just also in his persona, it's not only, like, literal high status in terms of, like, the draw, but you see him on screen, like, oh, that man is, like, gorgeous, and everyone is going to respect him. Like, I don't know if he would have worked as, like, the bumbling mm-hmm. drunk that no one liked anymore. Yeah, and then you'd have, like, the, the that being fight for attention between Mickey and Bugs and, yeah. and Harrison. And Harrison Ford. That being said... That era of Harrison Ford is like peak gorgeous level of Harrison Ford. <laughs> I, I would have been okay with more of that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Harrison Ford was too expensive. Chevy Chase just straight up said no. Which because, is for the best. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think that would have worked. Uh, Bill would Murray could have, have been interesting, And though. Bill Murray said he, Bill missed, Murray, I think he, said he missed the phone call, <gasps> and it's the biggest mistake of his career. Oh, my and God. And I think that's why he took the bit role in Space Jam. Was specifically because he missed out on Roger it's Rabbit. Possible. It's possible. Probably also why he took the Garfield role. Actually, no, I know why he took, took the Garfield role. Why? Because the writer director, or at least the writer or director on Garfield, was this guy Ethan Cohen. He saw mm. Cohen and thought, "Oh, the Cohen brothers was really good. Oh, sure, that's right. I'll take this movie." It was not the Cohen not the brothers. Cohen. <laughs> it was the Cohen cousin. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the Cohen's second cousin. Yeah, it was Sasha Baron Cohen's brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So, uh, for, so the role initially ended up going to Bob Hoskins, who did an amazing job. Yeah, I think he's perfect. Mm-hmm. I think he fits that bill perfectly. Oh, uh, absolutely. There was an interview with him asking how he prepared for the role, and I thought it was the most adorable answer ever. Uh, he said he, uh, he learned how to play uh, Eddie Valiant by watching his daughter play with her imaginary friends. Oh, my God. Which is just adorable. That just makes him that much sweeter of a person mm-hmm. in my heart. Also, he's British. I always forget that. Oh, fuck, he is British, uh-huh. isn't he? Yeah. See, the I Long Good Friday. That. It's a good Is he film. British in The Long Good Friday? He's very British in The Long Good Friday. He's dealing with IRA attacks, being a gangster. You have a young Pierce Brosnan in it. So. Wait, is that the movie where he yells, well, then maybe you shouldn't be living here? I don't remember the one-liner. Because, like, that's a famous, like, clip from Pierce Brosnan is some girl... Um, it's like, I can say whatever I want. I live here. He's like, well, maybe you shouldn't be living here. No, no, it's not this one. He, okay. he, he's much, he plays more of a, a, a quiet assassin. Role. Okay. Then probably not the movie I'm thinking of. Okay. <laughs> never more mind. Remington Steel, less Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh. Um, <clears throat> okay. So I'm going to play the same game with you guys for the initial Judge Doom casting. Yeah. Okay. So Christopher oh, oh, oh. Lloyd was not first choice. Okay. But he was the last choice and the right but one. But he was the best choice, yes. <laughs> Actually, reading the list, there's one that I really want to see. Tim Curry. Tim Curry, exactly. Oh, oh I'm fucking good at this game. Tim Curry was the second choice, but uh, after test takes, he was deemed too terrifying. That's that's absolutely <laughs> fair. 100%. Well, um, Clue is 86, mm-hmm. And right? when is It? Oh, shit. It is... Is that uh, 80s or 90s? Early 90s, okay. I want to say. And Home Alone, the mm-hmm. evil Ho- maitre d'. <laughs> Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, which I believe was 1992. Mm-hmm. Also, fight me on this one, the superior of the Home Alone films. Ooh. Uh, I'll go with Lost in New York is my favorite. It's, it's, the, be- it's the better of the two. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're pretty even for me. Yeah. That movie has an incredible supporting cast. Also, arguably, one of Rob Schneider's best roles. Which is right. He's in that. Is that the, the, he's the bellboy. Yeah. Is that the faintest praise you can damn something with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a Rob Schneider great role. I'm uh, looking at you, Surf Ninjas. His his best role, Surf Ninjas. Um, Again, fight me on this one. Okay. So Tim surf Curry. Surf Ninjas or Surf Nazis? Surf Ninjas. Is surf there a ni- Surf Nazis? There is a Surf Nazi. What is this? It is a craptastic film that we will not grace. A craptastic film. Just, just look it up. When, when you're next so stoned that you cannot get off the couch and it's on the TV, go ahead and take a look. Uh, okay, so... I'll, take it, I'll give it a gander. So Tim Curry was the second choice. He was deemed too scary. Second choice. Um, 80... This went into production, what, 87? 86. 80, went into production 86. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the first choice because it's kind of a left fielder. Clint Eastwood. Uh, Christopher Lee. <gasps> oh, yes. Uh, who just straight up turned it down, went to Curry, said he was too scary, and then went to, to John Cleese. Oh, that'd be who interesting. Who said he was not scary enough. No, I, I was going to say, all three of them are believable, but actually John Cleese would probably be the one that I would say, no, he's too comedic. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. with Christopher Lee and with... Tim Curry being too evil. Yeah. Can we see those screen tests, please? God, I so wish I could... I mean, anything... I want to see everything Tim Curry has done ever. Mm -hmm. Every audition. (laughs) Yeah, I want to see every tape he's on possible. But yeah, I think John Cleese... I think he's just a little bit... He's caustic, but he's not mean. Mm -hmm. There's a slight difference. 
Like he's yeah. very sarcastic and very dry. Yeah. He's I think too British too for that role. Mm-hmm. Like that that role I feel like needs to be American. Because mm-hmm. only an American would think of a freeway. So so speaking <laughs> of, of accents, um so Bob Hoskins was supposed to be doing a California accent the whole movie. Yeah. But he couldn't figure it out, so he just defaulted to New York. I was going to say, he kind of had a gruff Chicago, New <laughs> yeah. York kind of yeah. thing. They told him to do L.A., and on the first day of shooting, he just started New York. Well, there is no L.A. accent. Yeah. About? It's, it's the default American accent. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's movies in the 40s, I would have, I would have, excuse me, I would have expected uh, the, the transatlantic, yeah, transatlantic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I'm glad they didn't go that route. Oh, where'd yeah. you go, Raja? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So that was we got a so, the, so the test shoots from ni- from the 1981 test animation. That was uh, that is how Valiant spoke. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my God, that would be interesting to see too. Yeah. So there's like a like a three minute cut of it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Very interesting to watch. Um. So other voice actors, you had uh, Charles Fleischer as the voice of Roger, and he was so he does not consider okay, yeah. it a. Um, he does not consider it a voice acting role. Oh, really? Uh, he considers, uh, he, he made up a, a term for it, and I, I didn't write it down, but it was like, um, it was basically like acting from afar was, was, oh, was okay. how he said it. Because he was so into it, he had the costume, de- costume department make him a rabbit suit that he wore around set, and he would deliver <laughs> his lines just off camera in a Roger Rabbit suit. So there are photos of this. I want to see this, <laughs> obviously. We're, we're posting this on Instagram. But also, I mean, who who was filling in for him on screen? Because one of the, the amazing things of this movie is how well the animation and live action is blended together. So, I mean, there are scenes when there is clearly someone standing, like, you know, grabbing the front shirt of Bob Hoskins, being like, yeah. you know, dames, mm-hmm, yeah. whatever. Who's there? Who's doing that? Just production. Uh, what? Yeah. So like a they, PA? Did, they didn't even have green suits, which is crazy. That's what I'm wondering. How did they? Uh, you see it earliest after the the scene where they have the baby and Roger, and they're doing the total cartoon all around, and then it ends, and then Roger's pulling on the coat of the director, and you see mm-hmm. the sleeve yeah. go up. So how oh, did they do that? You just had a dude? No. So it was a mix of three things. If it, if it had to be a a physical interaction, and there was no camera movement. That was where the clean slate came from. Okay. That was why they did clean slates. Um, For those of us who don't know what clean slates are, even if it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh, when you film it, film the camera movement with no actors. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were three main ways they would do it. Uh, so puppeteering was mm-hmm. most of it, where they would have people up above and just strings and, you know, pulling. Just use the fish so, line. And- mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like Bob Hoskins' suit was on a marionette string, and that's how they are doing it. Uh, some of it. Okay. Yeah. So that was crazy. That was probably half of it. Okay. Um, a quarter of it was animatronic. So not people, but for like baby Herman cigar. Yeah. 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 Um, so for, yeah, for baby Herman cigar and for, uh, any scene with, uh, Roger and water, Mm -hmm. it was just like a metal rod they painted over. That is horrifying to think of a robot sitting in the pram holding a cigar trying to be baby Herman. Yeah. Well, Slapping a lady's ass. Yeah, exactly. It's like baby Terminator just hanging out in a stroller. Mm-hmm. Fucking horrifying. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously it's not a full robot, but it was... Cameron, it, in my mind it is. I know, and it should have been. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's cool because off to the side, they had a person controlling the arm with a with like a, like a real robot arm. 
And so he would be controlling the rotation of it. Oh, my God. And so that's how they got it to look natural while shooting. Yeah. Um, and then the third one was, if it was a still shot, they would have uh, some uh, person on production come and, like, grab the... Uh, grab the like the shirt and, yeah yeah for anything like that that's amazing so the the one that is the most amazing in my opinion is um jessica's in uh intro scene where right, she the, sings her song the club yeah yeah uh and you see the interaction with all the people yeah mm-hmm. um the one that makes me laugh so much is when she's playing with acme's face yes and i laugh at it every time because I can just imagine them like having someone coming and like pushing his cheeks <laughs> in real life. It's not just some random crew person. Yeah. Again, probably the PA. Yeah. Just going up and grabbing his but face. But the actor has to look totally lovesick, staring off away from whoever is just playing like with assistant. their face. Like yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and Steve, it's... the PA, is fiddling with his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it, it's amazing. So that's, that's that was incredible. rule two. Okay. Uh, so rule one was eye lines were the most important thing. Okay, rule two. Uh, rule two is physical interaction. Got it. Um, so that was how they made everything feel so real. Like they could have just had a cartoon gun, but no, they wanted a real life gun. And that's actually why Roger is so clumsy is because they wanted more things for him to interact with, which I thought is a great way to do it. Well, because isn't the... Um the scene in the speakeasy, mm-hmm. like that's like a whole a huge thing, right? Is that, wasn't that a deliberate challenge was to have the, the camera or the, the lighting swing. Yes. So the animators had to work around that, mm-hmm. like to help give that, that sense of verisimilitude. Yeah. So it, it coined a new term in animation called shaking the lamp, hmm. uh, which is just saying like going the extra mile. Uh, it's like the antithesis of jumping the shark. It's like jumping the shark is you're going to be lazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's adding all the detail that no one will notice. Yeah. Uh, so like if, as someone, as people who aren't in animation, like you don't really understand how hard that the, the lighting change is. Oh, that. must be crazy. Yeah. So, so talk to me about the scene. So we're in the, it, it's before the shave and a haircut two bits. Yes. So they're there and it's when you have Judge Doom walking around. Or no, no, what, no. So it's the scene. Uh, it's when they first enter the back room and Bob Hoskins keeps hitting his head on the, the lamp. He's handcuffed it's, to Roger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so that whole scene the the light is moving back and forth. So even though those two characters are still, because he's got the hacksaw and he's trying to saw off, even with even with that, when the light is actually moving, they had to constantly go and redraw Roger for every single well, pendulum had, swing of the lamp. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not that they had to redraw him, because they'd have to do that anyway, because that's just how animation works. It was they had to reconfigure how the lighting was for him. So... There's no real, like, you just kind of have to know how lighting works. There's no real, like, guess or, like, wait. Or there's no real thing that tells you, like, okay, the light is here. We need this much light on him or this angle of light on him. Mm-hmm. It's all just kind of eyeballed because they're professionals. Mm-hmm. So uh, before this, another rule along the lines of no camera movement was um, uh, lighting has to stay still. There, In most cases, there wasn't lighting. You would sometimes have a little shadow, but this is the movie that had both um, highlights and shadow to give them more of a 3D feel. Mm-hmm. So they felt round in the scene, not just kind of like sheets of paper, which they were. 
But it was still dynamic to watch, and it's because of going this, going the extra mile, mm -hmm. or to, to use the phrase that I just learned, because they decided to go and shake the lamp. Yeah. They could actually have a scene like that, which was just one out of the many for me, but that was actually mm -hmm. really, like, you were probably watching that and seeing something entirely different than I was. Your eyes yeah. were focused to something entirely else. Like, I was probably yeah. looking at yeah. like, if you, Bob, and yeah. you were looking at the drawing on mm -hmm. how they did Roger yeah, Rabbit. Yeah, if, if you don't know the worth that goes in animation or to drawing, you're just like, you don't even think about the fact that'd be so fucking difficult, but it's, you know, like mm -hmm. we, we were just out at the Getty, right? And it's just like, oh, right, like, where the light source is in a mm -hmm. drawing makes a huge difference. So imagine on top of the fact that you're, uh, you know, moving a character at 24 frames per second and redrawing for every single one of those frames. On top of that, not only is the character moving, but the lighting is changing as you go. So and the, whole, yeah. yeah, it's a whole extra level. So it's like beyond the normal work that I have to go into it, it's this huge extra amount of work. Just to make it all look real. Mm -hmm. so and again, you, I, I had no real, like you told me about this years ago, like a couple years ago. I'm like, oh my God, I never even thought about that scene. Yeah. How crazy it is. Yeah, yeah. Before that, kind of the hardest thing that Disney had done animation-wise. Uh, I don't remember which animator coined it, but it was the, uh, the famous Disney head swivel. And there was only one animator of the, the, the 12 old men, nine old men, nine old men. Yeah, uh, 12 the, angry men. The 12 <laughs> angry men. Yes. Uh, the nine old men were the nine original animators for Disney that mm. went on to kind of direct and produce every Disney film up wow. through the 70s. Yeah. Um, wow. There was one in particular that had called the Disney head swivel where whenever a character would talk, they would always talk either straight on, three-quarter, or side, because those are the easiest to do, and the, the head position would almost never change. So this one animator came in and be like, no, I'm just doing this to show off. Um, you see it with uh, Baloo, not Baloo, um, Sir John, you're going to fucking stab me. Uh, Little John? Little John. Yeah. <laughs> Little John in Robin Hood? Yes. Okay, uh, or King John. No. Prince John. Prince John and Little John. You see two. it with both of them. Okay. Um, so it's it's uh, kind of when, like, as they're talking, their their head looks up, and they kind of close their eyes, and their jaw kind of swivels side to side. Uh -huh. It's Prince John. There, there's a handful of characters that do it, but only one animator had the technical skill to Fuck. do it, to actually animate that. Okay. So anytime you see that in a movie, you know who did it, and that was literally him just showing off to the other animators. Okay. It's like, I can do this and you can't. Ha ha, fuck you. I mean, that makes sense, because <laughs> in the same way, it's like you're adjusting the lighting, you have a character's head moving at the same time that they're talking. So like mm -hmm. every frame, you have to count for both variables as you're... That's insane. Yeah. It's oh my so God. Cool. Um, also, Cameron only saw Robin Hood for like the first time like a year ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's not important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so Fleischer in the suit... Uh, yeah, so as I mentioned before, Richard Williams literally wrote the book on modern animation and mm -hmm. Rich Survival Kit. Um, so you you brought you kind of touched on this, and so I wanted to, to highlight this again. Williams and Zemeckis wanted to highlight the strengths of every studio in the golden era. So you said you like the movie because it kind of feels like you love like the nostalgia of well, those old cartoons. Yeah, because I got to see them all, but I didn't realize that it was such a big deal because it required the heavyweights. Mm -hmm of Hollywood to go and make this film happen just to get all those characters there. That was something you were telling me. Yeah. Uh, so they wanted to highlight the the best characteristics of every studio. So they wanted the production caliber of Disney. Disney just looked better than everyone else. Yeah. They wanted the character design of Looney Tunes, and they wanted the humor of Tex Avery, mm -hmm. uh, which is just like, they nailed it. Yeah, they, got no, all they absolutely did. Um, 
So then we have, uh, I, I could only figure out, t- there were uh, seven studios that had animated characters in the movie. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me see if I can. I, see. I don't have them written. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, but we know for, we know at least it was Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. Disney. Yep. I'm, I'm assuming Betty Boop, and that was owned by somebody else. Yeah, that was a, a like the seventh one. I didn't even, I didn't even know the studio. Do you remember any of the other ones? Uh, Paramount. But Paramount, what were the know. Paramount characters? I don't know. Uh, the only ones I have written down, there were 81 Disney characters, and wow. there were 18 Warner Brothers characters. Wow. Okay. Uh, and I have a list. There were a few characters that were greenlit. They, they got the okay, but they just ran out of time to put them in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is going to make both of us a little upset. Uh, was it Batman? It was not. It was Superman. It was hmm. Fleischer Superman. Oh, of course. Yeah. Because yeah, there wouldn't have been an animated Batman back in 1947. Right. So Flash oh. Superman from the 40s. So the ones that were greenlit were Popeye, uh, Chip and Dale, Fleischer Superman, Tom and Jerry, and Mighty Mouse. Hmm. Oh, Mighty Mouse. Yeah. I love Mighty Mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so some more fun facts. Uh, Betty Boop was voiced by her original voice actress. It was also the last job she did. So Aww. it's kind of cool she got to, like, bookend it oh, with her. Yay. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah, I know. It, it's happy. It's, okay, it's good. melancholy. I assume she just died. Um... The movie was based off of Chinatown, which I thought was kind of funny. It is. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah. Cameron, you have not seen, not seen Chinatown. Okay, yeah. yeah. I've seen Chinatown. Alec, you've seen Chinatown. Several times. Yeah. But I mean, it, Several times. Yeah. The, the conceit... Stop leaning away from just, the microphone. Just, just stay just, in. Just stay next to the microphone. <laughs> just stay, look at us. Look at, look at how fixed our heads are to the microphone. Just stay... Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, but no, I've seen Chinatown once. I know you've seen it several times. But like the, the whole conceit of like this broader conspiracy for basically a development... Mm-hmm. Project like in, in Chinatown, it's all about the water, right? Yeah, for them, it was all about bringing the water down to Los Angeles. But for this film, I mean, they're trying to go with the freeway. They, which, they, they ham it up a little bit. More, yeah. It's which perfect, was fun. though. I mean, it's like that is the the satirical version of the water riots would be. We're going to build a freeway instead yeah. of an aqueduct. It's just yeah. like you know a run viaduct where that way people can get from yeah. A to B. But I mean, even the fact that. Uh, Eddie Valiant doesn't want to go to Toontown. Like, Jake doesn't want to go to Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Same thing. And eventually the plot forces him to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Luckily, there's not incest in this movie as far as we know. <laughs> so the the rumor is this: the initial version of the script was Chinatown 3. They just revamped with oh. cartoon characters. Oh, that would be interesting. Wait, when did the two Jakes come out? Do you know that? I don't know. I've never seen that. Yeah, I've never seen either. I've heard it's not worth seeing. Because <laughs> so. didn't Alec... Baldwin direct that one? One of the Baldwin. What? No. What? Am I crazy? I'm crazy. Ignore no, that. No, um, Roman Polanski directed Chinatown. No, but who did the second one? The unofficial sequel. The one that was For so the bad they don't consider it. That, was that, is that the, the one well, that was so bad they don't consider it a sequel? The two Jakes? Sure. I don't know. I haven't seen them. But I mean, I don't know if it's... It wasn't Roman Polanski, but I don't think it was a Baldwin that directed it. I don't know. I'm crazy. It's a 1990 film by Jack Nicholson. That was it. I'm Jack like, it's one Nicholson of the actors. directed the and two it's Jakes. It, it, the two Jakes is a 1990 American neo-noir mystery film and the sequel <laughs> to the 1974 film Chinatown. Yeah. Directed by and starring Jack Nicholson. Oh, yeah. Well, so like that, that's where it came from. Like hard pass. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> sorry. Uh, so one of the other cool things, Jessica's design was inspired initially by Red Hot Riding Hood. From Tex Avery cartoons. Oh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. The wolf would always whistle at her. Right. Yeah. Um, and also inspired by real-life Hollywood stars, uh, Lauren Bacall, Rita Hayworth, oh. and Victoria Lake. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, yeah. I can see Lauren Bacall there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, other random facts that I wrote down, uh, the computer technology existed and it had just come out that would help with lighting and shadows, but Williams and Zemeckis refused to use it. They said it was a disservice to the original animators. Um, there were 82,000 animated frames in this movie. Oh my God. Uh, there were so many that I, I loved this fact. Disney hired every available anim animator across Iceland, Germany, and France to help with the movie, along with every animation student in London to help color cells. Um, Shit. Disney, this is, oh my God, this is so good. Disney initially budgeted for 12 minutes of animation. What? Uh, 12 minutes? 12 minutes of animation. How the fuck? Zemeckis and Williams came back with them with 52 minutes of animation, 48 of which made it into the final cut. I mean, what's the runtime of the movie? It's, it's about 90 minutes, a little over 90, right? I want to say so, yeah. That's crazy, though. So only half of the movie, more or less, has animated... So what's mm -hmm. the cost per minute? Like, what happens when you go that much longer? How much more money are we talking I about? I don't know. Uh, but Ballpark, best guess. I, I couldn't Adjusted even... for inflation. So like, here we are in I, 2018. I, I, so let's see, it was $70 It's We'll go with 90 minutes. Math, math, math. <laughs> Number... Uh, that's, I don't know. I'm Just like, pull I, it out of your butt. I, I can't... I'm going to say... I can't. I'm going to say 5000 for... <laughs> Is that too much? 5,000 a minute? Oh, a minute. I forgot yeah. a minute part. I was like, 5,000? That's like nothing. That's like a coffee order. Yeah, I'm going to say 5,000 a minute. I, I couldn't even guess. And so how did good, Steven Spielberg help? Because he, he was the guy who really pushed this through, is what you've yeah. been saying. So, and it also sounded like there was a little bit of a uh, chip on the shoulder about it, too, right? No, what I told you last night, I, I was wrong about that. Oh, how dare yeah, you, sorry. Cameron? I was, I was spinning lies. Um, no, the project almost folded multiple times because Eisner didn't want to put any more money in. Uh, and so Spielberg was basically like, you have to keep doing this because I say so. And because every studio is behind me. I did so much for this. I'm not letting this fold. Uh, so they kept it open. I, mean, I, I think it's worth talking about the fact that this movie could never have been made had it not been for Steven Spielberg. Exactly. This is something we talked about off screen before. But, I mean, like you said, they, trying to draw from seven different studios, the closest equivalent I could think of now would be trying to get DC characters in a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. I think that's about the closest comparison DC we have now. DC and, like, and, uh, it's, it's, you want, I want a movie with Iron Man, Superman, and Hellboy. Yeah. All front and yeah, center. Yeah, all the different, yeah, all the different mm -hmm. characters. Could you the, even do that today? No. No. So, the closest we've They're had. such money-making machines. Well, that's exactly it. And. Uh, so were these characters. Yeah, I mean, I mean, now. But Spielberg was Spielberg. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, even now, studios are so covetous of their IP, that's still true of back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, uh, we talked about this before, that Spielberg basically had the combination of like clout and connections to make this happen. That basically people trusted him enough that he was established enough of a filmmaker, the studios are willing to take a bit of a risk and say, okay, yes, because it's you, I trust that you're not going to fuck us over by including our characters in your movie. And the modern equivalent, of course, was Ready Player One. Mm -hmm. Also which, Spielberg. Also Spielberg. He directed it, and he was able to get stuff from, like, Warner Brothers. There was a bit of Sony, Star Wars in Microsoft. There. Microsoft. He already, he already had a, a relationship mm -hmm. with them, though, because he was working on Halo stuff well before that. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, across multiple video games, what, Nintendo? Yeah. Is there any Disney in there anywhere? Uh, I 
doubt it. I don't think. So. I don't. I can't. No, think I feel any. like there was a. I think there was a bit of Star Wars in there somewhere. Uh, how, how easily do we have storm? No, we no, because I think any any part there would have been stormtroopers was um, was just uh, Master Chiefs. Um, uh, but okay, yeah. So maybe there wasn't Disney stuff in Ready Player One, but that at least was able to draw IP across multiple studios and properties in a way that is rarely, rarely ever done. Mm-hmm. And even then, I don't think it matches this level. Like no. this is stu- like characters from different studios prominently featured, interacting with each other on screen. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mean, the great example in the club, the Donald Duck, Daffy Duck. Yeah. piano yeah. battle which is one of my favorite scenes of the whole thing yeah well again the modern equivalent of that would be like Batman and Iron Man like I don't know having a rich guy off yeah on stage never would happen it's an auction scene <laughs> it's it's Bruce and Tony trying to outbid each other. That's the comparison. Yeah. But now I want to see that. Yeah, not me too. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. And Stanley is in the background. Yeah. Hi, I'm here too. Yeah. Don't forget about me. <laughs> Hello, true believers. Uh, so this is another one that I didn't know before, which I think is really cool. Um, initially, there were supposed to be... Initially, initially, there were supposed to be 12 weasels. But then they cut it down. There were supposed to be seven weasels, and they were supposed to be the anti dwarves. Anti dwarves. <gasps> so they cut oh it down to five. Oh my god! Uh, and their names really reflect they were supposed to be the anti dwarves. Okay. So their names are Greasy, Wheezy, Psycho, Stupid, and Smartass. Or if you ask someone at the parks, his name is Wise Guy. That's the censored version. Okay. What? Who's who? Um, Greasy is the. Um, is he the lead? green? He's the green one. Green tuxedo, okay. Uh, Wheezy is the one in blue who's always smoking. Psycho is the one in the... the, the straight jacket yeah. with uh, the, the straight razor as a weapon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that character. Yeah. Stupid is the one in the hat and the straight <laughs> jacket. <laughs> and the baseball bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then Smartass is the leader. The main one. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. I didn't know yeah, that. Because, or Wise Guy. Yeah, or wise guy. because I, I didn't realize that was his name, but anytime Judge Doom yells at him... He says, stop. He's, he said, he calls him smartass. Yeah. And I thought that was just him calling him a smartass. But no, that's his name. Because they so say that in the good. movie. He says, like, he says it two or three bitch, times. And then there's also other times where they say, mm-hmm. like, you know, what the hell is going on? So smartass, you wouldn't think much of it beyond. Yeah. Um, oh, so, yeah. So that's clever. so cool, right? Um, fun fact uh, Jessica Rabbit's song is, uh, was sung by Steven Spielberg's wife at the time. Um, and uh, wait, she didn't, who, who I was didn't this? write her name down. Uh, wait, 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 hang on. What would the, that have been? Cape Catshaw? Um, Possibly. What it year did, what year did um, Temple of Doom come out? Was that 80? That was earlier. 83 was Raiders of the Lost Ark? Sure. Raiders of the Lost Ark was 80. Amy Irving was her name. 80. Amy Irving. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, that was his wife before Kate Capshaw. And he's been with Kid yeah. Capshaw ever since. So, because like uh, Temple of Doom came out in '84. '84. Okay, that's right. Yeah, because it, it helped. '81 change. was Raiders. Okay, yeah. '84. That's right. Because '88 or '89 was Lost Ark. Yeah, Temple of Doom helped start the PG-13 rating, mm-hmm. famously. And then, I don't know. This is a total tangent. I wonder, did Kid Capshaw do her own singing for the opening of Temple of Doom? Probably not. With anything goes. Oh, the Chinese version of it. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. By the way, rewatched that recently. Pretty damn good. It's still the le- least of the three originals, but it's pretty damn good, guys. Um, 
so there were two major scenes cut out of the movie. Okay. Uh, one of which is fully a animated. sex scene between Jessica and Roger. No, that's uh, Cool World. Oh, this is the one with Brad Pitt? Yeah. Oh, God. Talk about that later. Yeah. Um, so the first scene is one that I wish uh, none of this was animated or shot. Okay. Uh, the second one is fully animated and is online. It's oh my great. god! I got to see a new scene from Roger Rabbit last night, and I was like crying in bed. It was so like so heartwarming. <laughs> so the the scene that sounded amazing that was cut was supposed to be Acme's funeral. Oh wow! Uh, so the pallbearers were going to be Bluto, Popeye, Elmer Fudd, Goofy, Felix the Cat, and Yosemite Sam. <laughs> wow! With Foghorn Leghorn doing the sermon. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and you got to see the scene. That scene was not done. Oh. Uh, that, that's the one that they wanted to do. Just the imagination. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say, this was a great man here who are now laying to rest. Yeah. Uh, the second scene, which is fully animated, it was actually the first scene they animated. No um, And it there, there's one kind of continuity jump that's, that's kind of bugged me the past few times I've watched it. And it's when they go from uh, Eddie leaving uh, right after he cuts the handcuffs off. He's like, I have some things I'm going to figure out. Oh, yeah, and he goes straight to the office. Yeah, and then the next scene is him in the bathroom, walking out of the bathroom with Jessica and walking into his office. Mm -hmm. So there was was supposed to be a scene right in between there that was cut. Okay. uh, Because a day goes by. Oh, okay, Um, that makes more sense, yeah. Yeah, so that night, the scene is... Um, Eddie breaks into Jessica's changing room at the bar. Yeah. Um, and looking for the will. Cause then there's a line after I'll talk about that in a second. Um, he gets hit over the head. Someone leaves the room as he opens it. Uh, the gorilla bouncer is there, knocks him out. He wakes up and doom is there and doom's like, we're going to take you downtown. He's like, okay, I know the police commissioner. I'll be fine. It's like, no, we're going to take you to downtown toontown. And so the weasels put him in the car. You see him drive down the tunnel. You don't see Toontown, but you see him come back with a bag over his head. And the weasels have, like, are like closing up markers. And he takes the bag off his head, and he has a cartoon pig head. Oh, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen bits of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, he, uh, it's cool seeing the animated version and then the thing they actually shot, because he had like a, a wire frame head. Yeah. And you could see the act- like, him actually miming. It was awesome. Hmm. Oh, my God. Um, so he's pulling on the face, and then this, the next scene is him in the bathroom in the shower, uh, having a turpentine shower, uh, washing the um, the pig head off of yeah. him, and then he walks out and sees Jessica. Oh, that does make a little more sense. Yeah. yeah I noticed that this time, too. It's like, oh, like, they just jumped to mm-hmm. you know, the, the office. It's and a there's weird. a line that they say, um, because there's all, that other scene that always confused me was Jessica... As him and as Eddie is walking out of um, out of the office with, um, oh my God, I hate myself right now. Dolores. Dolores, thank you. Um, he's like, uh, you see Jessica in the car behind him listening to their conversation. Yeah. And he says the line, um, I know there's a will because they're still looking for it. Oh. You don't really see them looking for it in the first scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, it was said because it's the, the scene that was cut. Is, okay, is then other people looking, looking for, for the yeah. will? Yeah. Oh. Uh, so that's when that's why Jessica is listening in because like the will does exist. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that scene is fully animated and is, and is on YouTube, 
it's pretty great. Um, so like I said, it was the most expensive film at the time. It cost $70 million, made back all of it and then some. Uh, and there are currently two movies that are trying to make it up the approval ladder from Disney. You have a prequel and a sequel uh, potentially coming Okay, out. yeah, I've heard bits about both. So the prequel has been was written in the early 90s. The first draft of the prequel was going to be uh, Roger making his way to Hollywood. Okay. So it's going to be him having a humble beginning on a farm. Then he gets drafted into the war where he meets Jessica. And then um, they go to Hollywood together. Okay. But Steven Spielberg said absolutely no to this because he said he refuses to make any other movie with Nazis. Huh. Yeah, no, that's a, a real thing. Is mm-hmm. After he made Schindler's List, he's like, I will never again make Nazis a semi-comical villain in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he said no to that. And so then they rewrote the script. So instead of him going to, uh, to the war, he goes to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And they actually wrote a song for Jessica to sing, because that's where they meet, is on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, and it's on Spotify, because uh, the woman who sang it, it's on one of her albums. It's pretty good. What's the name of the song? I, uh, hold on, I'll, I'll find it in a minute. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that's the prequel. And they were trying to do a sequel, which was closer to what the book, the second book was about, mm-hmm. which is them making an animated Gone with the Wind or cartoon version of Gone with the Wind. Uh, and uh, What? Yeah. Uh, and Jessica kind of using other real-life actors to progress her acting career. So it was going to be her trying to date Cart Gable. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah, right? I want to see this. Right? So that's that's what the book is about. Yeah. Um, because the... the sc- character in Gone with the Wind is Scarlett O'Hara, right? Mm-hmm. But who was the actress? It was Maureen... Francis. I don't yes, know. Yes, Maureen Francis. And that sounds like a name. Yeah, not her name. Yeah, but it's a name. Don't act like it's not a name. <laughs> There's no one in the world named Maureen Francis. Um, that would have been amazing, though. Yeah. Oh. So this, this is, I think, like, it gave me so much more love to Roger Rabbit was learning about this fact. Uh, Roger Rabbit gave uh, Eisner faith that people still wanted animated films, and it gave him the confidence to give a bigger budget to Little Mermaid. Oh, my God. Which started the Disney Renaissance. So technically, Roger Rabbit is the reason for the Disney Renaissance. That's fucking incredible. Which is unbelievable. Yeah. That's so... Oh, my... I I love the Disney Renaissance. Also, I love the, the skewed studio thinking on that. Yeah. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the quality of the independent movie. It's just, oh, animation did well, do more animation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Vivian Leigh was Scarlett O'Hara. Thank you. And why, so was it all the Black Cauldron that caused Disney to go into this death spiral? Why did you have a renaissance? What led up to so the, the second act? You you have Good question. what's considered the Disney Dark Age. So you have the, uh, if we do it by age, you have the classic Disney, which is Snow White to... No, to Sword in the Stone. So in 1938 to 1961. That was where uh, it was kind of the same animation crew did everything. Walt had his hand in everything. Um, and it was all and done. the films were all generally considered to be spectacular. Mm, yes. Not all of them. Well, Fantasia, for something that was... yeah. Fantasia actually did really bad. 
Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Fantasia did a bad job, but it came back given the the scoring that was done and the live playing of yeah. it. I do remember this. Mm-hmm. Um, they all cost so much that Disney was never a super profitable company through the 30s, 40s, and 50s. They were always just getting by. Hmm. Uh, and it's actually why in the 40s they had so many um, propaganda shorts. So there's a lot of shorts of Daffy in... Uh, not da- wow, Donald, Donald Duck, yeah, Donald uh, in the military, yeah, and like the war bonds, buy mm-hmm. the war bonds, kind of a thing. Yeah, and that was a way for them to make profit as opposed to just breaking even. Yeah, and then in the '40s, you had the second dip, where it's all the movies that no one remembers. So that's when you have Salidos Amigos, The Three Caballeros, um, 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 uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's the classic era, and then you have a mini era called. Um, the Xerox era, where animation changed. They, they found a faster way to animate, and so it didn't have the same polish that the 50s movies had. So that's, um, the first one would be 101 Dalmatians, and if mm-hmm. you actually go back and rewatch that, you can see the pencil lines in a few of the frames. Which I love, actually. I do, too. Personally. It gives, like, a very sketchy feel. Uh, but they... But for them, they would see it as not being very professional. It wasn't, it wasn't polished enough. Yeah, they found a faster... Uh, a fast way to do everything. That's also when uh, the Disney tracing started happening. So if you watch some movies, there's a, there's a hilarious compilations on YouTube where animators will trace other Disney scenes for their So um, uh, Robin Hood has a big one where uh, Robin Hood and... Um, Maid Marian. Maid Marian are dancing, and it's taken straight from Cinderella. Uh, Sleeping Beauty. No, I thought it was... Well, there's a dance sequence that's shared between the Aristocats and Robin Hood. That one. Maid Marian is dancing just like Duchess and the Aristocats. I Mm -hmm. forget which one came first. But I think that's traced from from one of the other princesses. They may have um, traced over a trace. Yeah, but also (laughs) Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella, I think, are the same, like, wide-shot dance sequence around Mm -hmm. the thing. And then there's also... Baloo is the same animation style as Little John. Yes. Because they're both bears. Mm-hmm. In, and then yeah. Sir Hiss and Ka. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of just like them just taking old animation and basically just sketching over it to make it look a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so they found faster, cheaper ways to do everything in the Xerox era. But a lot of those movies are still really good, though. Still great I mean, movies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, some of my favorites are, in fact, The Aristocats, Robin Hood, 101 Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are all what, 60s? 60s and 70s. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because Robin Hood was 78. Was it 78? Mm-hmm. It was that late. Yeah. Holy shit. So then that led into the Dark Age, where it was kind of um, other studios started to make animated films. And so it kind of gave Disney competition. Um, mm-hmm. So that's when you had Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron, um, your was... favorite, A Great Mouse Detective, oh, and The Rescuers. When mm-hmm. was Lady and the Tramp? 70s. No, okay. no, Is it early? no, 50s. 50s, okay. 59. No, that's Sleeping Beauty. Oh, for fuck's sake. 57. 50, okay. I got it. 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that was 57. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the timeline. Um, <laughs> so you had, these, you had these movies that either barely broke even or just dropped. And so while you had uh, kind of Rescuers and Great Mouse Detective... You had um, Amblin making. Amblin did Feifel, right? 
I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So you had other animation studios coming out with their own stuff that was just as good as Disney stuff. Uh, and so the market was split. Disney stopped making money, got in a real, real, real deep, big hole, wanted to cancel it. So then you had the Renaissance come out where every movie was the biggest movie ever. Like The Lion King. Yeah. Elton John so doing the soundtrack. 1989, 1989 was Little Mermaid. Uh, 1990 was Rescuers Down Under. No one really talks about that one. I love that movie. I do too, but it's not really part of the Renaissance. But we just don't really talk about it. Uh, Beauty and the Beast was 91. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aladdin was 92. Uh, Lion King was 94. Pocahontas. We talked about this last night. Beauty and the Beast was a contender for Best Picture at the Oscars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it the... Only, only animated only, film mm-hmm. to be nominated. For, uh, wait. Only Disney animated. Actually, I don't think there were any others. Was, no, it wasn't. Uh, I think Toy Spirit Story 3 was nominated. Oh, it was. You're right. But I think it was the Toy only. Toy Story 3 came out in 2010. The century. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it, it might have been Beauty and the Beast, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think Beauty and the Beast was the only ever animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture when it was the original five Best Picture mm-hmm. category. When it was the abbreviated category prior to 2009, mm-hmm. I think that was the only animated film ever nominated. Yeah. Which is fucking insane. Yeah. Also, much deserved. Yes. Oh, 100%. Much deserved, but also fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you had 95, you had Hunchback, 96, Pocahontas, Hercules, 97, Mulan, 98, Tarzan, 99, and then ending it with Emperor's New Groove in 2000. Oh, Emperor's New Every movie made bank. Yeah. Disney was fucking rolling in it and then burned it all to the ground in the second dark age. Well, cause, Which is what? 2001 to 2008. But I mean, How did they do that? What was the dark age then? Say? Well, I think that's when we started getting... Again, other studios making animated films, they started doing CGI movies. Three, yes. Pixar yeah, so like, like, so, like, Pixar, so Pixar came in and started eating Disney's Yes, Pixar lunch. comes in, and so, I mean, Pixar was still affiliated with Disney at the time. They would have been distributing Disney through Disney, not necessarily produced by Disney. Right. Um, but then you get, like, Shrek coming through. That was DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. Well, so then there's the whole Katzenberg fight. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try and give the brief version. Uh, Katzenberg was chairman Eisner was president when Roy Disney, one of the other Disney's, was mm-hmm. still CEO. When they dropped down, Eisner was supposed to go up to CEO. Katzenberg was supposed to go up to president. Uh, Eisner basically said, I'm going to be both president and CEO because <laughs> mm. <laughs> he's an asshole. Yeah. Uh, and so Katzenberg basically said, fuck this. Uh, had a talk with Steven Spielberg, said, hey, let's make our own animation studio. They created DreamWorks. Um, and then s- basically stole all the work in progress movies from Disney to make their own versions of DreamWorks. So that's why you had Ants, which is a DreamWorks film, come out at the same time as Bugs Life. You had uh, Road to El Dorado come out right before Atlantis. They were supposed to be almost the same movie. Hmm. Uh, and then they just, the two, the two heads, Eisner and Katzenberg, would just throw the most childish punches at each other. And it's so funny so there was a ride at Disneyland called um, the Great, no, not the Great, not the one in World, uh, the one in Disney California Adventure, which is now Monsters Inc. The Monsters Inc. ride. Oh, it was like the um, it's like the Great Hollywood ride or something like that. Yeah, right? the Great like, Hollywood. It, it took chase. you through a whole bunch of scenes from Hollywood films. Like the one I remember is from Disney World, but they took you through like there was a part of it that was like Rex Cafe American from well, Casablanca. The one was, like, here was different because one oh. here was super super cheap. 
uh, because the initial version, kind of a sad story, they had this great, like, almost extreme ride setup where it was supposed to be a really fast-moving limo chase through Hollywood. You're oh, supposed to land. Right. Yeah. The, the ride story was you're landing at LAX and you're getting in the limo and you have to make it to the Chinese theater to sign a contract and you only have a certain amount of time to get that's there. That's so funny because that's what became, like that plot line is now used for the um, Aerosmith roller coaster at Hollywood Studios mm-hmm. in Florida. Also the uh, Jimmy Fallon ride at Universal Studios Florida, except it's all 3D and Jesus, it sucks. Jesus Christ. Um, so it was supposed to be this great limo chase. And they greenlit the ride. They started working on the ride. They blew all their money because they were making this amazing ride. In the middle of it was when uh, Princess Diana died. Because, <laughs> because you, were getting, you were getting chased by paparazzi throughout the ride. <laughs> and Princess Diana got in a car crash because she was getting chased by paparazzi. The they had to completely re, redraw everything from scratch. And so one of the, the reason I bring this up was one of the punches that Eisner was throwing out to Katzenberg um, um, was they had a, a big sign for DreamWorks, but it said, um, like, dreams stink. Like, the most childish insult you could imagine, and it was 100% greenlit by, by Eisner. Oh, my just God. Just because he wanted a punch at Katzenberg. Wow. Uh, and then you have Shrek, which is just a big shit on to Disney. Like, everything about it is just saying, fuck you, Disney. Hmm. I mean... Yes, mm-hmm. and that's maybe where it started, but I think it, it is it has grown to its own story. Well, yeah, but I think even that original one, I don't feel like it's shitting on Disney so much as it's it's commenting on those stereotypes. Yes, so I mean, yeah, I mean that's like tomato tomato. Well, Lord Farquaad is supposed to be Eisner. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Okay. Yeah, um, and then they're making fun of the princesses in the Shrek Two. They have all the princesses in the movie. Um, and then there's just a few other small jabs. Yeah. But that's all getting away from the point. Uh, the second Dark Age was, yeah, you had Pixar come in, and then you had uh, DreamWorks come in, and um, the one studio that made Prince of Egypt and Rodel Dorado. No, that was DreamWorks. Um, whatever. Not important. I don't, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting way off track here. Yeah. Disney said that because Pixar is doing so well, people don't want 2D animation anymore, and so they did... Atlantis didn't do too well. Treasure Planet bombed, even though it's amazing. And then Home on the Range was the second biggest animated flop of all time. Wasn't, um, that was CGI, though, wasn't it? No, that was still 2D. That was 2004. Uh, it's the last, okay. It was the last 2D film. And they almost shut down the 2D department because that movie did so bad. I mean, really? they, they basically did. Like, didn't, Disney didn't put out a 2D film. Until Princess and the Frog, which is the last 2D film they've done. Yeah, which and, is still really good. Yeah, 2009. Yeah. Um, so in between then, you had the the string of mediocre, I love most of them, wow. 3D films. You have Chicken Little, Meet the Robinsons, um, Bolt, and I think that's it. Okay. I'm missing one. It's not important. None of them did well. Princess and the Frog comes out, kills it. Actually, just as okay, because they're competing with Avatar. came out the same weekend. Hmm. Um and then 2008? 2009. 2009. Avatar. Ugh. I know. And then Tangled came out, which was the first. And then that, that starts the modern age of Disney. That's mm-hmm. when um, John Lasseter came. It's like, hey, let me help you guys. So then you have Tangled, and then it's been all 3D, all major hits again. What? Tangled, Record Ralph, Frozen. Big Hero 6. Oh, Big Hero 6. I know. It's so good. So good. Uh, Zootopia, Moana. 
I mean, so tying this all back, this yeah, all yeah, yeah. started because, because of Roger, of Roger Rabbit. Rabbit. That's right. <laughs> 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that were all of my points. So that was my, my little spiel. You want to do trivia real quick? Yes. Okay. Let us, let us do Roger Rabbit trivia. Let's see how well we can I do with this. I have 12 right. questions. All right. They're getting, some of them are real hard, <laughs> and I'm sorry for those. It was what I was thinking of at the, in the morning, or last night. All right. I'll okay. have a good challenge. Let's see what we got here. Yes, and I have a prize for whoever gets the most right. Oh, I'm yes. looking forward to my prize. Yes. Okay. Uh, question one. I don't know if we're going to do like a buzzer thing, if you want to hit the table. If that no, makes don't hit the table. Audio. It makes for terrible fucking clap, audio. Clap behind the table. Don't make any sound. Raise your goddamn just, hand. Just say me. Do sure. it silently. We'll yeah, snap yeah. like a poetry slam. Exactly. Okay, yeah. <laughs> raise, you can raise your Yeah, exactly. Can, can just Rita Moreno <laughs> style. Mm-hmm. Okay. Question one. What is the name of the bar Jessica Rabbit performs at? Chris. The Ink and Paint Club. That's correct. One point for Chris. Are you tracking the points? Yes. Good. Mm-hmm. Good girl. Question two. What is the name of Eddie's detective agency? Oh, oh, oh. That's Valiant and Valiant. That is correct. Oh, got, one to one. got you on one. I'll kill you. <laughs> True or false? We see all members of the Big Five in Toontown. Big Five being Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy, and Pluto. False. false. Well, you said it first. first. I didn't see Minnie. Was she there? It, it is false, but that is not the one who was there. I didn't see Pluto, is what I said. Pluto actually. is there as I well. I give up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, in Toontown? In Toontown. Oh, we don't see Donald in Toontown. I guess that's true. I was going with we don't see Pluto. Or sorry, sorry, we don't see Goofy outside of his short. We don't no, see No, I him thought he was in the end. Was He's in the end credits. Is he? he? No, he's in the final scene. It's like, or a mouse, or a dog. Oh, you are right. Sorry, that's my bad. Chris gets the point because he's right. It is true. They are they're all, all five are yes. in there. <laughs> that is 100% my bad. Fuckers. Uh, so two to one. Uh, question five. What is significant about... Wait, isn't this question four? It's two to one. That's three. Uh, oh, yeah. This Okay, I forgot the hard question. Okay. Ooh, okay. Um... What did Eddie and Teddy's dad do? Do you know this, Alec? Mm-mm. Okay. He was in the Ringling Brothers Circus. That is correct. He was a clown. Very proud of you. Yes, that is yeah. absolutely correct. Three to one. Okay, question five. What is significant about the dip ingredients? Acetone is one of the ingredients. Acetone, turpentine, benzene. Yes. Are they all... <laughs> Good Lord, man. I've seen this movie a lot. <laughs> yeah. Are they all... They're all... Dissolve it. So all paint thinners, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I think I've brought this up on the podcast before. Uh, they're the three ingredients they would use to clean the animation cells back in the 50s. Okay. 40s and 50s. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a nerd, mm-hmm. Alec. I know <laughs> these things. Um, so four to one. Yes. <clears throat> this is the one I was trying to avoid talking about in the, in the notes. Okay. One I've also brought up a few times, so you might have a slight advantage on this. Uh, question. Oh, I only have 11 questions. Sorry. Uh, what was the final rule? What was the final rule for the Warner Brothers agreement concerning Mickey and Bugs? Was it that Mickey couldn't be on screen any more than Bugs, cumulatively? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Bugs and Mickey had to have the exact same number of lines and the exact same amount of time on screen. The rule yeah. is the exact same. The rule is also the same for Donald and Daffy. Okay. Um, which is why all four of them are in this, you know, the two and two are on pairs together. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was just easier. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So six to one. Come on, Alec. 
Got to up my <laughs> up my Roger Rabbit game here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, question seven. How old is Baby Herman? Oh, he's in his fifties, right? He's got fifty-year-old lust and like that is an eight-month-old dinky or whatever is, the yeah, line he is. is. He has a fifty-year-old lust and a three-year-old dinky. So yes, <laughs> he is fifty years old. Five to two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, question eight. Despite true or false, despite the director at the beginning of the movie demanding Roger see stars instead of birds, Roger never can. Roger can never. Sorry, Roger does not see stars at any point in the movie. He does see birds, dizzy lines, smoke, and basically anything else. What's the... What? Does... True or false, Roger... Does he see stars? Does Roger see stars at any point in the movie? At the end, he does, right? I thought he saw... Isn't that a line that he says where he says he's seeing stars? That is true. He does... Yeah, yes. To the answer, the the question is false, but you got the answer right. Yes. He does see... Stars. Yeah, because the the ton of bricks drops on him, and then he sees stars like, oh, stars, ready when you are, yeah. Rose. Uh, mm-hmm. yes. yes, because the director, do you guys know the director's name? Not a question, but just for... Hmm. Raul Raul. It is Raul Raul. Yeah, do you know who played him? Uh, no, but I know the actor. I see, I've see. i seen that actor in other things. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was Joel Silver. That's who was credited. Joel Silver being the like very famous producer Okay. who was a producer on this, and also fucking everything ever. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Yeah. Um, okay. So these are... Um, two of these are... These are the, the two hard ones, then one kind of easy one. Um, what is the name of the Baby Herman short at the beginning of the movie? Oh, fuck. Uh, what's cooking? Something's cooking? Something's cooking. That's right. <sighs> oh, so that, that's six to three? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because question 10, the easiest one. Uh, what animated animal works as the bartender in the Ink and Paint Club? Does he have a Oh, sp- it's the octopus. Yeah, just the species. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, octopus. Four to, four to six. Um, okay. I'll have this one be four to six. Three points. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a chance. <laughs> ten point, ten point question. Okay. Just because I I didn't know this one until I was looking up Roger Rabbit trivia. Who is Roger Rabbit's uncle? Well, he has a prostate problem. He does, and that just makes this so much funnier. Peter Rabbit? No. Um, is it ever said in the movie? It is said in the movie. Is it Thumper? It's Thumper. <laughs> I win. What is it? Thumper. It is Thumper. Is his uncle? Yeah. Where does my he uncle, say that? My uncle Thumper has a pro, has a uh, has a prostate. No, what is what's a prostate? He, no, says, he doesn't say prostate, but he, he says the other word. Prosthetic? Oh no, my had a problem with his probate. Probate. Yeah, uh, my uncle Thumper had a problem with his probate. D- d- oh, um, d- does he say so Thumper? He does he's say. lost. <laughs> He does. That's what the internet told me. I'm really doubting you on this. I'm really okay, doubting that's fine. you. You can doubt me on it. Not because I want Alec to lose. I want Alec to lose. But because <laughs> I'm pretty sure he doesn't say Thumper. I know he says a name. He's like, my uncle had a problem with his probate. No, because he says a name in between there. My uncle so and so has a problem with his. I don't think you know. he does. I know he says it. I saw it two times in the past 72 hours. <laughs> I feel I do feel like I shouldn't be Might need to see it again arg- tonight, ar- just arguing sure. arguing on this front. Six o'clock. I can make a third showing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Fine, I'll concede that he says Thumper. Okay, so congratulations, Alex. Victory! Oh, shit, I lost. You lost. So I know you guys are both big James Bond fans. So what's the prize? So, hold on, let me make sure you guys... Is it a martini? No. There's a pin that I got from Comic-Con. Very rare, very exclusive. James Bond, one of a kind. (laughs) Chris is very, like, (laughs) trying to figure this out. I got to go to a very special panel. Uh, and they gave us a very special prize for coming to the panel. And so what you are winning, Alec, is the sidekick from the upcoming Netflix series, The Dragon Prince. <laughs> this ugly <laughs> frog Oh, it's thing. beautiful. It has this turquoise aquamarine. <laughs> um, with, uh, can you explain the Pikachu James Bond yellow? connection? <laughs> there is not one. I just wanted you to feel like... <laughs> Oh, you, you son of a bitch. You just see the look on Chris's face. Yeah. <laughs> son of I a bitch. I wanted to get a real prize. I ran out of time, and this was he, sitting on my he, desk. He, he's kind of got the uh, the, the okay, color Chris, palette can... of... Um, Vomit? No. Well, yes. Um, I was going to say, uh, is it... Is Blarp? Yeah, Blarp from Lost in Space. Okay. Someone the movie, it. not the TV gotcha. show. The TV show. The TV show is just like a monkey with Spock ears on it. Okay. But, well, congratulations, Alec. You get the Dragon Prince pin. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I so <laughs> desperately wanted. Congratulations. I win. Thank you very much. I'm done. I'm, I'm still doubting you on this. Okay. Mm. Mm. Uh, but that's that's all the Roger Rabbit fun facts that I have. Uh, I didn't know there was an end to your Roger Rabbit fun facts. I mean, just for the podcast. Just for the podcast. Uh, but if you do want to reach out to us and talk to us about how much you love Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. or if you have some other random movie that you want us to cover at some point, which you might find an excuse to do, yeah, you especially can, if it's animated, especially if it's animated, animated, or partially animated, or James Bond, or uh, Space Jam, or Space, or <laughs> Space Jam, you could find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and a Gmail. Uh, you can find me personally at Lordifer on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can find, if you want to see my face, you can find it at camdexter underscore adventures. And if you want to see my art, you can find it at cameron.dexter. Oh, and I, I forgot to bring up uh, last little point. If you want to see a worse version of Roger Rabbit, oh, watch right. the movie Cool World, which came out in 1992, starring Brad Pitt. Huh. It's uh, an atrocity. But <laughs> so much fun. But a timepiece. It really is. A real, a seri- okay. To, to give a one-line description of what the movie is, um... Cartoons become human by sleeping with other humans. Dios mio. I am now <laughs> going to go watch this. <laughs> yes. That is also the plot of a Rick and Morty episode. Yes. So, okay, go watch that. Our one bad plug. Go watch, cool, go watch world. cool World. And then, Alec, do you, do you have any social medias? Do you have a Twitter or an Instagram or any of those things? I, I am not on the internets. <laughs> okay, well, then you're irrelevant. LinkedIn. So thank you. Very- <laughs> you want to add me on LinkedIn? Yeah. Uh, Alec, thank you very much for going and seeing the movie with us and joining us. It was us absolutely and, my pleasure. And participating in our weekly shenanigans about nonsensical things. Yes. It's always a good time. Mm-hmm. It was great fun to join. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Yeah. And uh, thank all of you for listening. Yeah, we'll to- be back with Batman next week. Yeah. Most don't, likely. Don't worry, guys. Next week, I'll go back to doing the bulk of the talking. Yes. If you do if you do the Casablanca one, loop me in for that. Yeah, we'll yeah, do he, it. Yeah. He, can, he can fill in for me. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to make you watch that or we'll make movie. I've seen that movie. I'm going to make you watch it again. Oh, it's so long. How <laughs> dare you? How dare you? No, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Don't kill your co-host. Don't kill your co-host. Okay. I'm good.
Thanks, everybody. Good night and good luck. See you next week. Bye.